Hello there and welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. Lots to talk about over the course of the next 35-45 minutes or so, depending on how long we natter on 4K. Um, we have international football to talk about. We have tons of Major League Soccer to talk about. First and foremost, though, let's rewind the clock, shall we, and go back seven days or so. Uh, an interesting game for Minnesota United against SC Paderborn of the uh, Zweite Bundesliga, the second tier of German football. It seemed, Kindra, as though it was a really useful exercise for many individuals. Yeah, and I mean, that's basically what... Adrian Heath had said going into the match that was what he was hoping to get out of it and then of course that is what he felt like he got out of it I mean I said during the match and I think we were both talking about a post game they scored, they scored four really nice goals four different goals four goals by different goal scorers and yeah they're not all guys that are going to be on the first team all the time but I think when you're Adrian Heath and you're just trying to get some max fitness mixed in there with this long break that they've had you're trying to keep guys fit you're trying to get some other guys minutes you're trying to get some guys time with the first team we saw Fred Emmings as well which was awesome so I think that if, if Adrian Heath were to look back at that match it would have checked a lot of boxes and of course the only negative just being the injuries that happened to a couple of the players some hopefully just little tweaks and maybe some a little bit more serious we'll talk about that but I thought it was a fabulous game it was a great night the fans were amazing as always and um, it was just a great night for soccer it was awesome. Who do we think, Kay, got the most out of that game against SC Paderborn from an individual point of view? Well, I think when you're, if you're, it, it depends to me on what you're talking about. If you're talking about just getting your feet wet, maybe shaking off some of the nerves, you would look at a player like a, a Padelford or you would look at a Fred Abbey. But if you're looking at somebody, or Aziel Jackson for that matter, which he had a fabulous set piece and some really nice through balls when he played in the midfield as well, but I think if you're talking about maybe first-team guys that needed to get something from this game, for me, it would be a player like a Luis Amaria. I thought he, you know, yes, he scored a goal in a very, very nice, calm and cool and collected goal um, inside the box, which is exactly what we know he's capable of. Um, and maybe that gives him the confidence to get the goal scoring going once again. But then you also had a player like Nu who comes on in the pitch and playing a little bit more in that deep-lying role, um, almost more as a number 10. The combination played to create the goal. You know, just those guys need first team minutes and they needed to score a goal. And I thought Luis Amaria, for me, would be the player that probably checked the biggest box from that regard. So let's move on to international football, shall we? There was an abundance of loons that were playing for their countries over the course of the last 10 days or so. Uh, Bongo Kukle Thlongwane, Robin Lourdes, um, both saw minutes uh, for both South Africa and for Finland. Um, Let's concentrate, though, on a goal for Kerbin Arriaga against Canada. Dane St. Clair was a part of the roster but wasn't playing for Canada. A really nice goal from Arriaga, and he continues to grow as a footballer, Kendra. Well, and I talked to Dane yesterday at, at training, I, at the end of uh, the training session yesterday for Minnesota United about the field conditions in Honduras. And we were kind of joking, as well as the U.S. against El Salvador, saying they sort of been pocket gaps because with the quality of the field and of course the rain and, and what they had to deal with there but I thought Ariaga was fantastic in that match not only did he get the goal but he also had the secondary assist on the previous goal he had a really nice ball that he pinged out wide left and then that served as the cross or, or the shot inside so I thought that Ariaga just continues I was a little bummed that you know Joseph Joseph Rosales did not get called in for Honduras because I think this is one of those windows and one of those times that you would think that they would want to get some um, younger guys some looks. And I think Rosales has been great for Minnesota United. He was in the last camp, the last window um, for Honduras. But Ariaga is doing exactly what we've seen him do for Minnesota United. Clearly, Honduras sees him as part of the future and what they've got going on. And both sides of the ball, just the intense, the insane amount of quality that he has on the ball, the tenacity, the hard tackles, the switching of the fields, the a height on set pieces, whether it's attacking or defending. I think um, Ariaga is just been probably the pickup of the year for Minnesota United when you consider the quality he's brought, the consistency he's brought, and also the fact of the price tag that he brought was pretty low. Yeah, to our understanding, Minnesota United paying about 50000 US dollars for Kelvin Ariaga, not bad for a fully-fledged Honduras international. Um, let's 
talk of a, a sour international note, shall we? Michael Boxall in New Zealand went up against Costa Rica on Tuesday afternoon. It was uh, the last chance for New Zealand to get themselves to a World Cup for the first time since 2010. Francisco Calvo and Costa Rica prevailing, meaning Michael Boxall, Kindra, won't be playing in this winter's World Cup. Yeah, and I think that was a real bummer because, you, you know, it's your last chance, your last-ditch effort. It's an all-or-nothing kind of opportunity, and they allowed an early goal um, against Costa Rica, and they just weren't able to really recover from it. And there was times where it just felt like the intensity of that match didn't feel like an all-or-nothing game. Um, and, and Michael Boxer going, you know, halfway around the world and not getting minutes. So um, I think he's going to be... Uh, disappointed. Um, I haven't had the chance to talk to him yet, but I would assume he's going to be very disappointed that the team didn't make it, that he wasn't able to really contribute to the, the team's performance. Um, and this might be his last World Cup, those last World Cup opportunity for him with the national team, considering his age and some of the players that New Zealand has been using. So all we can hope now is that he comes back fit and healthy and ready to play because this is a tough stretch coming back from Minnesota United. You always want to see your players, your your club players, um, be called into their respective national teams because it means a lot to wear um, that jersey for their country. But at the same time, I'm you know happy to have him back with the team here and contributing to Minnesota United because we know what a big piece he is in that center back position. Now then, let's focus on things a little closer to home, shall we? And particularly <laughs> things that may very well affect you and I in terms of the new Major League Soccer broadcasting deal, Apple TV and Major League Soccer. Announcing earlier this week, they have agreed a new 10-year, $2.5 billion US dollar broadcasting agreement. Kindra, regardless of what happens in terms of regional television and the restrictions, um, this is huge for Major League Soccer. This is arguably the biggest broadcasting deal, well, it is financially the biggest broadcasting deal they've ever done, but from a significance point of view, it, it arguably is the biggest broadcasting deal they've ever done, and this is going to be magnificent for Major League Soccer. Well, I think what it does, and there's still so much that needs to be communicated and worked out on their end, but just the deal itself of being on Apple TV and having the ability for people to more easily watch the matches all over the world. Um, I think that's going to be massive. And then, of course, the dollars are huge. To my understanding, it's maybe three times as much of what they were currently getting for the game from the broadcast partners and whatnot. So I think that the $250 billion, $2.5 billion, $250 million, let's say, per year um, for the league, that's, that's a huge number. And that just tells you all you need to know about the growth of this league, the growth of this game in this country, which we know because we're immersed in it every day. But I think to the outside world, even when you saw the business journal articles that were written about this, when the press release went out, the Don Garber, Commissioner Don Garber of media availability, this is a really big deal for this league and for soccer in this country. And I think if somebody didn't take notice or they didn't take notice before, Something like this and the media attention it garnered will get people to take notice and pay attention because that's what this league requires now is this kind of a number, this kind of quality um, in a universal sort of broadcast partnership. And I'm excited to see what it looks like, the content that is able to be provided, whether it's still locally or whether it's um, from a more central location with the Apple TV deal. But I think this is going to be pretty awesome. And Kudos to those at the league that got the deal done. I'm sure it was a very tedious, long process that everybody in the industry, meeting us as broadcasters, wanted to know what the future holds going forward. And we still maybe have some more questions or less answers. But at least now we know that this is where the games will be happening and that you know it's going to be a quality production. So massive, massive moment for this league and, and for soccer in this country. Really, really excited to see what the possibilities are for Major League Soccer on Apple TV. And to clear up some confusion as well, this confirmation that the local broadcasting deals are coming to an end, Major League Soccer have still yet to announce what they're going to do from a network point of view. So again, the games will be on Apple TV, but there's still an abundance of games that will be shown on whoever Major League Soccer picks. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two network partners over the course of the next couple of years. Another thing to digest in another conversation, no doubt. Um, sticking in New York City, Kendra, um, NYCFC have a new interim manager in Nick Cushing, who had tremendous success 
with the Manchester City women's team because Ronnie Dyler has departed NYCFC after winning Major League Soccer last season. He's now left for Standard Liège. Um, your initial thoughts on this move? Well, you know, I'm a little torn about it because I loved what Ronnie Dyla did there. And I think when you see a coach come in and take over a head coaching position in MLS, because we've seen some be successful and we've some seen, we've seen some fail miserably, right? Whether it's an American coach within the league or whether it's an international coach coming from elsewhere. And it really just felt like this was a good fit. It was a quality fit. And what he has been able to accomplish with NYCFC in a relatively short period of time and some of the turmoil that had been, you know, taking on, um, you think about what the league has been through itself in the last couple of years, the last handful of years. And I think that the fact that they were able to do what they did, I'm torn in the sense that I'm bummed that he's leaving. I'm bummed that uh, Ronnie Dyla has gone elsewhere and is leaving Major League Soccer because I think he was a quality addition. But at the same time, I think it's another opportunity for another coach to step up and bring what he's got to that club. And I'm sure it'll be some of the same and some of his new um, ideas that he'll bring in the fold. Um, so I, I think that we just saw NYCFC and we saw their quality. We saw their ability. They were just here at Allianz Field with Ronnie Dyla sitting on the sideline. And um, I just think that the team really grew on him and he really grew on the team. And they accomplished an awful lot in that amount of time. So not surprising that he's moving on and he's um, sought after, but at the same time, a good opportunity here for Nick Cushing to come in and uh, really kind of put his stamp on it. And it'll be interesting when we, you know, sometimes the coaches, when they take over, they may say one thing and do another. He may say, hey, you know what? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It doesn't need to change a whole lot. But we also know that coaches, when they take over the head coaching job, like to have their own sort of some of their own ideas and their own stamp on the team that's out there but this is a pretty pretty good group so we'll see how much it changes going forward what do we think in terms of where new york city fc will look to with regards to a replacement because i must admit after looking at the individuals that are out there uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if nick cushing has that interim tag removed if he does well um, and i say that because when you look at the previous hires from New York City FC, they've often, more often than not, remained within the City Football Group umbrella. Jason Christ was the only one who came from the outside, and obviously that's because they were just starting in 2015. Then it was Patrick Vieira who came from Manchester City, it was Dominic Torrent who came from Manchester City, um, and Ronnie Dyler, obviously uh, another one that came from, from the outside. But um, I, I think that Nick Cushing would make sense moving forward if indeed he does well. Um, but this, this this seems as though this is a continuing trend for New York City FC, Kindra, in the sense that they develop managers very well. Um, Jason Christ, really the only one that that hasn't seemingly worked out. Um, Patrick Vieira now, of course, managing in the Premier League with Crystal Palace. Um, Domi Toron went on to manage Flamengo, arguably the biggest team in Brazil. And now, obviously, Ronnie Dyla moving on to Belgian football, which for many, given the club he's going to in Standard Liège, may very well be viewed as a step up. That that has to be an attraction for just about any young manager in world football, does it not? Yeah, and I think when you have a group like the City Football Group to really draw from, from a talent pool perspective, that's not a bad place to start. So I think if you're, again, if you're in New York City and you're trying to decide if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And part of the reason Ronnie Dyla you know, made this move at the time he made it mid-season. And we can talk about this, and this is a whole other podcast maybe, is that the seasons don't line up. You know, the way the the off-season for other leagues versus we're in the middle of the MLS season. So would this have been something that has may have happened at the end of the season and it's not so disruptive? Or do they not feel like it's so disruptive because they have a coach in Nick Cushing that can step right in? is familiar with what's going on, with the way things were operating, with the way the roster is working, with some of the conversations within the, the locker room already, um, and some of the movement with the players, the injuries, just all of the above. So I think that when you have a group like City Football Group to draw from, that's a pretty good place to start. And I wouldn't be shocked if that interim tag is removed. And I also think it's tough for interim managers. I know that he was already there, but when you're talking about taking over the reins and trying to find your fit and your form as a head coach in that position, 
you've got a tall task. And those are a lot of, that's a lot of players. That's a lot of ego. That's a lot of different personalities to deal with as now the head coach. So wouldn't surprise me one bit if he continues on where Ryan and Dyla has left off and this team is continues to be successful and on the form that they're on. Um, and that the interim tag may very well be removed after the fact, because I think that um, they're going in the right direction. They're coming off the championship. There's no reason to change too much. And the coaching change probably wouldn't have happened this season had these seasons in the league not aligned. Would you agree with that? Or would you think it would have happened regardless mid-season? I think it may very well have happened regardless, to be honest, Kay, because Ronnie Dyler's resume sticks out. Um, it, it speaks for itself. He's won everywhere he's gone, whether it was in Norway, Scotland, or indeed the United States. He's won everywhere. And and the, the initial attraction with this, I thought, with Ronnie Dyler was that Standard Liège are um, usually towards the top end of the Belgian top flight. They've been in the Champions League um time and time again, year after year after year. If not, they've been in the Europa League. The point is they've always been towards the top end of Belgian football. They finished 14th last year um, in a historically bad and disappointing year for them. Imagine being given the keys to that castle because there's only one way this could go now, and that's up. And I think if he does a good job at Standard Liège, there's only one way he's going to go, and that could be to, that's more than likely going to be, to a bigger European league. And it it seemed as though that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to get back to European football. So I understand why he took this. And look, if it goes catastrophically wrong, the worst thing that's going to happen to him is he's going to be a very attractive proposition for any team in Major League Soccer, is he not? Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that um, it'll be interesting because I understand what you're saying. They, they can only go up from here. But if you have a team that needs maybe that much improvement or if it was just that disappointing of a year, I mean, there's so many things that can go on. That sometimes you don't see on the outside. So he's got a pretty good operation to step into and to take over. But at the same time, when you're starting at the bottom, that's also a very tough task and a tough challenge. So would he want to come back to this league? I know he has success with NYCFC, but that doesn't mean you're guaranteed success anywhere you go within this league. So we've also seen that with head coaches, whether they're from, you know, they're international or whether they're here in the United States. So um, I mean, kudos to him. Congrats to him. I think that um, I think he will get that team on the right track. But at the same time, when my eyes are a little bit focused on NYCFC and they're sitting atop the table in the Eastern Conference and they are really kind of firing on all cylinders right now, I think Christian would have really have to screw this up badly for them to fall from grace or fall from near or at the top of the Eastern Conference with how they're playing right now and some of the talent that they have, if all that talent remains on the roster as we talk about transfers and different things. Okay, well, finally, before we head to a break, um, let's talk about the U.S. men's national team and indeed the potential of the cities to host the 2026 World Cup in North America. Uh, first and foremost, Kendra, the United States men's national team, um, what did you make of, of this particular window? Do, do we... We deem this a success under Berhalter. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would deem it ultimately a success under Greg Berhalter. I'm assuming he will feel like he got what he needed from this group, meaning seeing some new players, seeing some different players and maybe some different positions, more guys getting some minutes, McKinney coming back into the fold, coming off an injury. Uh, do you have another option in a number nine in Haji Wright? Um, do you not? Did Ferreira get his goal scoring going again, even though it was against you know, a little bit easier of an opponent in Grenada. Uh, what Those are boxes, I think, as we talk about goal scorers needing to get their confidence back. I think that might work for Ferreira. But um, nobody got injured in San Salvador against El Salvador. I might have based on the field conditions. It was pretty awful. It got a little bit chippy at times. George Morris with a, a solid finish and showing. So I would say that for me, Greg Berhalter would be pleased with that window and what he accomplished in it, um, and that a lot of the questions may have been answered, um, and then you still have one more opportunity to get some, you know, maybe identity, get some philosophy, get some rotation, get some confidence in the players before you head to Qatar in November, and that's going to come really fast. I know we're only in mid-June, but we all know how quickly that's going to come. I think there's still one or two questions that are in need of answering, perhaps not immediately, but certainly sooner the better. We all know centre-forward is is still uh, an issue for the United States, but the good thing is they have options and they, 
They have players that can allow them to play in a different way should they need to, and I think they will do, particularly given the group they're in at the forthcoming World Cup. Um, Centre-half as well. It, it was obviously disappointing when Miles Robinson went down injured for Atlanta United several months ago. He seemed to be a shoo-in to start alongside what we're assuming is going to be Walker Zimmerman at the forthcoming World Cup. But now there's an abundance of individuals that are making their claim. Uh, none more so than the likes of Aaron Long and Cameron Carter-Vickers. Who, who would you go for at the opening day of the World Cup, given what you've seen so far? I would go with Aaron Long. And that's, you know, I think that's just based on what I've seen. And I would, honestly, if you were the coach, how much would you lean on a player like Walker Zimmerman and if you would you ask him his thoughts on the partnership or would you just make that purely a coaching decision because I just think that center back pairing is so important the feel for the game the chemistry between the two the strengths and the weaknesses how do they complement each other how do they work to each you know together um, who are you most comfortable alongside? Because we just talked about it. Miles Robinson was like a shoe in there. They had developed a really nice partnership in that center back pairing. I would go with Aaron Long start in that first match. But I also think that there's a value in having maybe the opinion of a player like Walker Zimmerman and say, you know, or maybe you sit down as a group from a defensive side of things. And say, what what are the strengths and the weaknesses of each player? How do they complement each other? What does the opponent bring? Some of it may just depend on the matchup on the day. But I think Aaron Long and Walter Zimmerman would be who I would go to start with as long as everybody's healthy. What what about you? It's interesting because I'd actually go with Carter Vickers. <laughs> based, on, based on how the two work together or just Carter Vickers' actual talent and skills and, and quality? Neither, based on the way that I think Greg Berhalter wants to play and he wants to play out of the back. And I think Carter Vickers is much more comfortable playing out of the back than Aaron Long is. Um, I think Aaron Long is, is a very good centre-back, obviously. Um, and regardless, both will certainly go. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if we, we saw uh, a couple of different centre-half partnerships uh, during the let's just say that the three guaranteed games at the World Cup for the United States, um, because I think um, I think both are more than capable. And as I've said before, Kay, I, I think the US are going to have to play differently uh, against um, against certain opponents, and and a lot of that starts with how you how you start. And um, I think that the US um, more than likely will will continue to operate how Greg Berhalter wants them to, and, and that's playing out of the back and. Um, that's another debate for another day if that's the way to approach it or not. But um, given what we've seen from Berhalter's team, I, I think that he's going to want to continue to play out of the back. And, and I think I think Carter Vickers is is better at doing that um, than, uh, than Aaron Long is. I think he's just a, a better footballer and looks better and looks more comfortable with the ball at feet. Um, but look, we'll, we'll wait and see. Because also the other, the other question mark remains as well is the goalkeeper. Um, because if they are going to play out of the back as well, I think they'll be so much more comfortable in doing so with Zach Steffen in goal as opposed to Matt Turner. But then the debate comes up as to, well, what's more important? Is it having a better goalkeeper or is it relying and, and, and being loyal to your system? Well, and I think that goes back to what you were saying too, is it depends on the matchup on a given day, right? And, and what Greg Berhalter is trying to accomplish. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you just need to get points in the group stage and you need to get out of it. So... I think that it depends on the matchup. What is the opposition bringing? I clearly have to make those decisions before you know exactly what the opponent's starting lineup is, but you have an idea of how that team and the opposition likes to play. So I think ultimately, for me, it's the better goalkeeper is the one that you want. If there's a stark difference between the goalkeeper and their ability to make saves and their goalkeeper and their ability to play the ball with their feet, I would go with the goalkeeper and the ability to make saves every day and twice on Sunday. That would be what I'm asking my goalkeeper is to make the saves. We have all seen goalies make or break a game by the saves that they do or do not come up with. And your whole back line could be terrible in a day. Have an off day. You can have a turnover in the midfield position, whatever it might be. And you get the quality of some of these World Cup opponents coming at you. They will make you pay. And it's to me, it's more about the quality and the goalkeeper making the saves, putting themselves in the right position to be effective from a save perspective. And if they can play with the feet at the bonus, and if they aren't as good with their feet, then your back line and your midfielders need to be aware of your goalkeeper strengths and weaknesses. And maybe you don't play the ball back to them and try to possess the ball 
out of the back in those scenarios. But first and foremost, it's about making saves for me. Okay, well, let's move on to the future, shall we? And uh, we are recording this on Thursday afternoon, so uh, later today. FIFA will announce the venues for the 2026 World Cup, which, in case you've been living under a rock, uh, you'll be informed uh, and be delighted to know, I'm sure, that this 2026 World Cup will be taking place in North America, in the United States, in Canada, and indeed in Mexico. And there are some interesting cities here, Kendra, that that are vying for the option and ability to host uh, the likes of, let's start with the United States, shall we? Um, Atlanta, uh, Boston, Cincinnati, Dallas, Denver, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Miami, Nashville, New York, Orlando, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Seattle, and Washington slash Baltimore in Canada. It's Edmonton, Toronto, Vancouver. Uh, Mexico is Guadalajara, Mexico City, Monterrey. Um, this is interesting because obviously not everybody will will get a chance to host. W- without going through all of it, because we'll be here all day, um, is there a city in there that, that you think may not necessarily be on the cusp of, of everyone's lips at the moment, but but you think would, would really make sense and deserve an opportunity to host a World Cup game or two? Well, I just want to say first and foremost, that, it, it, again, if people have been living under a rock, these are stadiums that have to hold a certain amount of people. So when you're listing these stadiums, it's not a soccer-specific stadium because it is very specific in the sense that what's the, what's the minimum capacity? It's got to be, what, like 40,000 or something for, for, these, for these stadiums to hold um, and be a World Cup venue. The second thing is I really feel strong, strongly that it's got to be real grass. And I don't know what the qualifications are. We know clearly Atlanta, Boston. I mean, we can go down the list of few of these. Seattle. Those are all first, right? Fake, right? Not but but they, they, I think they have to change it, Kay. For for the for the World Cup, they have to change it. There's no way they'll play a FIFA World Cup on on turf. But I also think then, what does that mean? We've seen sod get laid over fake turf, and it can or cannot be not great. So I just think that when we're looking at some of these stadiums, there should be certain standards that need to be met. And I'm clearly FIFA is looking at that. And the United States, when they put in these bids in Canada and Mexico, there's certain, you know, standards. And I'm sure when they've submitted their bids and they've submitted, they, you know, these, these FIFA um, regulators are, what, what's the word I'm looking for? The people that are in charge have gone to all these cities mm-hmm. and toured these cities and they've had meetings with these people about what the standards might be it needs to be for them to be a host venue. And this isn't just about the stadium. It's about the city. It's about the area surrounding it, the hotels, the infrastructure, because, you know, that's a lot of people that are coming to your city. So for me, the first one that actually stuck out when I take a look at this was Cincinnati. I know it's Paul Brown Stadium. It's where the Cleveland Browns stay or, or play, excuse me. I think that that's an interesting one for me from a city as a whole. And I don't think it's interesting necessarily in a positive light. And I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus here because I don't know what these cities said to those powers that be that are making these decisions. But when I look at Cincinnati, that doesn't jump off the page to me. And I know they just had a men's national team game um, in Cincinnati not that long ago as far as the city is concerned. But I think that that would be one that would be a little bit surprising to me. And from a positive, um, maybe... Uh, gosh. I'm trying to think of looking at the schedule. I clearly have spent quite a bit of time in Canada when I did the Women's World Cup um, and played. They played at all those locations. And at that point, it was on fake turf. It was not on grass because they allowed the Women's World Cup to be played on first and not grass. But is there any? Yeah. <laughs> That's another podcast for another day. And I don't see that happening again, hopefully, for the women. Um, what about you? What what jumps off the page for you as a place that should maybe be hosting that people aren't thinking of? The obvious one for me, and maybe I'm looking through uh, rose-tinted glasses here, but the, the obvious one is Kansas City, just because uh, that is legitimately a soccer city. Um, the way that Sporting KC and everybody involved in, in the soccer market there have turned the opinion of the game around in that city has been sensational and you know what's the one place when you when you think of the the big crowds the large gatherings um 
when it's it's the men's World Cup and indeed the women's World Cup, um, the the networks whoever's showing the games they always cut to Kansas City uh, when there's a goal scored and they're looking for reaction uh, here in the United States. Um, more often than not, they cut to Kansas City because there's huge crowds and I think the the love of the game there is is infectious. It's obvious. Um, and like I said, maybe I'm viewing this through rose-tinted glasses, but it, it's, it, it is an obvious choice to me. Um, but I understand why it wouldn't be an obvious choice to many viewing this from an international point of view. But um, I, I think it's about time Kansas City gets its shot. I think it's, it's, it would be something that would really, really um, be, be great for the city itself. Uh, I mean, look, how many times do people... Uh, who are going to be visiting the United States from all countries across the world. How many times do they go to Kansas City on vacation? It just doesn't happen. So what a chance to showcase uh, the Midwest of the United States. What a chance to showcase what a soccer city looks like in the United States. And no doubt there are other cities that will will do this as well. But I think it's important to, to show um, that places like Kansas City, that, that there is a real lust for the game there as well. And I, I really, really hope that's the case. And... Um, Let's wait and see. I don't suspect they'll get the, the major games, and that's fine. I think Kansas City just want to be a part of the conversation, and they have every right to do so, given what they've created in that city. Yeah, and I would agree with you on that. We've spent time in Kansas City for soccer. You clearly more than me. And I think that, again, this is that Arrowhead Stadium, but we saw the men's national team just have a game there the other day. And even if you're looking at just a nationally televised game, we just saw New England taking on Kansas City last weekend. So, you know that there's an appetite there. There's a following there. It's kind of a way of life. I think people in that city have really grown to love sporting Kansas City, which was previously the Kansas City Wizards. And I think that that's rightfully so, a great opportunity. And sometimes those Midwestern cities get missed uh, because, you know, sometimes people view it as a flyover and they focus on the coast. Um, and I think that's why when you look at a, a city like a Cincinnati or a Kansas City, those, those cities absolutely deserve to have an opportunity to be considered. And I think it's also fair to say that they can showcase more than capable of what they can bring to the quality of this um, this World Cup coming up in 2026. Either way, honestly, there's nothing on that list that you can go wrong with. And I think every single city that is buying for this right. opportunity will more are more than capable than putting on a show and being tremendous hosts to whatever games they end up getting. And I think that everyone that, you know, in the United States and in North America should be proud wherever these games end up because it's really about the United States and Canada and Mexico hosting and not necessarily just focusing on the cities themselves. We've done it again, Kate, and we've rattled on about nonsense for nearly 30 minutes. And this is the Minnesota United Match Preview Show. So what we'll do is we'll take a break. And uh, coming up after said break, we'll talk about Minnesota United away at New England Revolution this weekend. injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results and care team, you're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Welcome back in to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Now then, Minnesota United on the road to New England Revolution this coming weekend on Sunday afternoon. Kickoff for that game, by the way, has changed to 4pm. It was originally 7, now it's changed to 4pm. So make sure you update your calendars. Um, Kendra, let me ask you just before we dive into specifics, your generic thoughts on New England Revolution this season because they were near flawless last campaign, winning the Supporters' Shield under Bruce Arena. Not quite as easy on the eye this year as they was last. Why? Well, I think that some of it, and we can talk about the hangover sometimes from CCL. Um, they had a tough go at it during the CONCACAF Champions League 
tournament to start the season. I think we've seen a few teams that have struggled to get out of that slump. Um, I think that sometimes there's a novelty when you have a team that was playing as well as they were playing and had the quality that they had. I do think they still have the league, the reigning league MVP in Carlos Peel, and he is the difference maker for me on that team. I think Gustavo Bo is kind of coming back into form. They've, they've clearly lost Busta, um to a transfer, and he's their reigning leading scorer as well. So I think for me, it's about finding ways to be effective and also finding ways now that other teams know what you're going to do. So it's a little bit of a combination. They've gotten a little bit older. They're not the youngest group out there um, in the league. So when I look at what Bruce Arena is able to do with the rosters that he has, for the most part, he's able to get what he needs. Now he added Sebastian Ledette, who's been in and out and dealt with some injuries. He added Josie Altidore. I'm not sure how much he's going to contribute, but these are guys that he's familiar with that have played for him, whether it's been on the national team or LA Galaxy, and that he knows that he can kind of push the buttons in the right way, and that still remains to be seen for me and what he can get out of a couple of the new guys. And then he lost Buchanan. Um, so for me, I think that this is a team that is still going to find a way to get it done. You've got some players in the midfield, like Polster and um, Matamara. That again have been around. They just know what they need to do to contribute in Bruce's system. Can you find Carlos Field, get him the ball, and have him be dangerous? That is honestly the most important. It, it is uh, indeed, no doubt, uh, a, a difficult task for Minnesota United um, to be going to the Revolution and, and wanting to get three points. Kendra, I'm going to need you to to educate me a little bit here. Um, I was travelling last night, and uh, whilst I was at the airport. Uh, for a, a connecting flight, I opened up the laptop and tried to watch a bit of the Revolution game, but unfortunately my computer decided to die for some reason. So um, you're going to have to educate me in terms of what you saw from New England Revolution against Orlando City. Of course, the Revs unbeaten in three, and they are coming uh, up to this game against Minnesota United off the back of a 1-1 draw against Orlando City. What did you see from the side last night? Yeah, I was actually really impressed with New England's ability in that Orlando game, knowing that they had just come off a really difficult game against Sporting Kansas City on the road in insane amount of heat and then had to play in a quick turnaround. I know it's at home and they've been relatively good at home. Um, but I also think that when you have um, it's an international break, a lot of other teams are dealing with trying to find games, whereas New England Revolution is trying to figure out how they cram all these games in a short amount of time and rotate the squad. So. Carlos Hill, once again, scoring a beauty of a goal. I know that he hasn't scored a lot outside of from taking penalties, but it was a really nice finish, and they're trying to find the goal-scoring capabilities with Busta being gone. Um, is Gustavo Bo going to be back in form? Where else is their goal-scoring going to you know come from? And then at the same time, you're looking at what is Minnesota United going to do from their goal-scoring front. So it's not like Minnesota United is the only team that's trying to find their form from a goal-scoring perspective and replace maybe some um, situations where goal scoring is gone a little bit dry or is absent and being transferred away like New England had. But ultimately, I think that um, New England did what they needed to do against a difficult opponent in Orlando City on their home turf, coming back from a challenging uh, match against Sporting Kansas City on the road on Sunday. It's interesting you, you bring up... Um... Well, the, the Argentine centre-forward there. Um, because with the transfer of Buxa to Lens in, in Ligue 1 in France, not only have the Revolution got themselves a bucket load of money, um, they've perhaps wandered into a, a bit of a, a strange situation here, Kerry, in the sense of when I watched Bowl and I watched the Revs against Kansas City when they were victorious at, at Children's Mercy Park over the, the last weekend, um, they're asking Walter Bow to to understandably play at, at the top of uh, of the the lineup and and be that leading centre forward. But when actually every time I've seen him, he he has looked so much more comfortable just playing off of the centre forward. Now he he scored against Kansas City uh, on that Sunday, uh, and he was asked to press a little higher from from what I saw. Um, but th- this will take time for for Gustavo Bow and the Revs to figure out how to get the better of him after playing such a, a a, a certain way with Adam Buxa leading the line. Well, and that is a great point because we've seen forwards before um, playing in a way that maybe doesn't fully suit them. 
And then they're asked to play in a different way. And can they elevate their game? Can they find their form? Is he going to be a goal scorer? I mean, for the most part, he's found his way into an assist position oftentimes based on playing off of the center forward rather than being the center forward. So for me, I think it might take a little bit of time. But if there's if there's something that we've seen from Bruce Arena is his ability to find a way to make the players and put them in a position to succeed. And hopefully, um, I mean, not against Minnesota United, hopefully, but hopefully in general that will come with time having transferred Bukta and knowing that you have a player of the quality of Carlos Peel that has so much ability on the ball to find that final pass, to find the open player. So how does that evolve with Bo and Heel? And then even, you know, we mentioned it previously, you have a player like Josie Altador, and I'm not sure what he is going to be this year or what he's even going to be going forward as we've seen some of his quality with injuries and things trail off over the last couple of years with Toronto and it didn't seem like he wanted to be there but now he does want to be in New England he wants to play for Bruce Arena as far as we can tell he's accepting of whatever role Bruce Arena seems to put him in if it means that he and the team can be successful so I think a little bit with Bo for me it's still to be determined but you have a quality player in a field sitting right underneath alongside he likes to drift as well I think that New England Revolution has really found their form and is starting to find their way, even with some of the transfers and the changes in the roster that they've made over the last half a season or a season or so since last year ended. For me, that's going to be a really peculiar task for whoever plays at centre-half for Minnesota United on Sunday afternoon because Walter Bowe, uh, Walter Bowe, sorry, Gustavo Bowe, Walter Bowe, his brother who plays in Argentina, um, Gustavo Bowe is uh, somebody who, as I've said, will will drop and I wonder, uh, we, we saw it a little bit in that uh, from, from the Orlando clips that I've seen and certainly in that Kansas City game, he does like to pull the centre-backs out of position uh, and that means more space, obviously, for the likes of Carlos Gil and, and the two players that play either side of the centre-forward as well. Um, that'll be interesting. That'll be a really intriguing proposition to see how, let's assume Michael Boxall returns to the eleven. let let's assume Bakay Dibasi is there. They'll have to be at their very best to get the better of Walter Bowe, uh, Gustavo Bowe. Um at the other end of the field, Kay, um, one thing that's, that's for certain is uh, this will be the last appearance in a Revolution jersey for Matt Turner. Uh, this will be his send-off game before he makes a $7 million move to the English Premier League and Arsenal. Um, let's hope Minnesota United can spoil the going-away party. What are we expecting from Matt Turner? I'm not entirely sure. And I had this conversation at training yesterday with, we were even talking with, um, I was talking with Manny Lagos about it. And of course, they talked to, um, I talked to Adrian Heath earlier this week as well. And I just thought, you know, is that, is that a plus or a minus when you've got a player on his last game? Is there going to be too much emotion? Is there going to be too much adrenaline, too much going on in his head to focus on the task at hand? Is he already mentally and emotionally and even nearly physically moved on to Arsenal, um, knowing that this move has been pending and has been on his mind all this time. And that, of course, he was injured for much of the beginning of the season. Then he's been away with the men's national team. And now he's got this sort of send-off match before he makes this massive move in his career to Arsenal. So will it be, will it prove to be too much? Or will it also just be the case where he's already mentally sort of checked out from what's going on in New England? I think knowing Matt Turner, and I don't know him personally, but watching his career and what he's done with it and how nobody thought he'd be where he is and where he's at and moving on to specifically to Arsenal, I think he will be present in the moment and he will have a really good game if Minnesota United tests him because I think he'll feel that he owes it to the New England Revolution. He owes it to just the, the path that he's taken in his soccer career to really go out on a positive, on a high. And I think it's going to be one of those games where the adrenaline is going to be pumping and it's going to work in his favor and he won't have mentally or physically, emotionally checked out from New England Revolution yet. What are your thoughts? I think he's going to want to end his Revolution career on the highest of points. And if indeed he is tested, I see no reason why he um, he, he wouldn't be uh, top draw because he's one... He's going to want to go into Arsenal pre-season camp as sharp as possible because no doubt Aaron Ramsdale is viewed as the number one of Arsenal at the moment. Um, I believe the goalkeeper Leno is, is legitimately about to be on his way out um, elsewhere in Europe. So 
Matt Turner will, will manoeuvre into that second-choice goalkeeper, uh, that goalkeeping role. But um, he will go into preseason a lot sharper than Aaron Ramsdale, obviously because he's been playing a lot more football uh, with the Premier League season finishing several weeks ago. Uh, and I think he will want to absolutely make his mark in preseason and show that, look, I'm, I'm a good goalkeeper. I can absolutely give you what you need. And that'll be very interesting to watch. Um, in, in terms of the game then, Kendra, against the Revs for Minnesota United, what, what sort of approach are we expecting from Adrian Heath? What sort of a lineup are we expecting from Adrian Heath? Well, I think the lineup is the biggest question mark for me because of the fact that you're coming off of an international break and you're assuming that all players, to our knowledge, are not injured. But it also depends on the travel. How are they coming back? Do they feel fit and ready to play? Um, I know that um, Hong Wana was back in training this week. He had returned earlier. I know that... Um, I think they were expecting the rest of the group to return either today or tomorrow. I know that, you know, James Sinclair was there in training yesterday. So, again, for me, it's hard to know what to expect from the style of play that Adrian Keith is going to want to take on the road at a very difficult place to play in the New England Revolution until you know exactly what you are going to get from a returning aspect. How is Robin Wood, who played a ton with Finland, how is he going to come back to the next after the travel? And to my knowledge, he's returning here and then traveling with the team to Boston rather than going straight to Boston and staying there. So I think it's going to be, um, I think what Adrian Keith has at his disposal, once again, if everybody is back and fit and healthy, this is including a player like a Kamar Lawrence who, you know, had a, a bit of an issue against a say Paderborn. Is it, um, is it, the target forward style? Do you continue riding the hot, hand of Luisa Maria coming off that friendly in a forward position. Do you wait and see how Robin Lud comes back? Abu Jalani hasn't been available at training. So these are all things for me. I would guess that Adrian Heath is going to want to test the back line of the New England Revolution. That is where I see the biggest weakness from the New England Revolution. And normally they do not give up goals. Normally they have been absolutely fantastic from a defensive perspective but this year they have struggled they have had the lead on several occasions and given it up and also their back line has gotten a little bit older so if I am Adrian Keith and I'm Minnesota United and you have that kind of quality in this active third I'm finding a way to test that back line test their communication test their ability to clear the lines and really be on the front foot against this team, assuming everybody is fit and healthy um, and comes back in a position, including Ariaga with Honduras, where they can step on the field and contribute. Revs have equal goal difference after 15 games, 25 scored and 25 goals, as you mentioned, conceded as well. Where, from a, a tactical point of view, K is the most important area of the field in terms of how do Minnesota United break down New England Revolution in a specific area? I think it's the wide spaces. Um, I know we talk about the wide spaces a lot because of the quality and whether that means wide spaces in your outside back to getting forward. Um, Roma Messonier, who we saw go down injured in the Paderborn game, and he was always such a threat. And I know now the team has not had him for quite some time. I mean, we'll talk about it since last season, right? But when he has the ability to get forward and swing a ball in and to test the back line, to test the um, opposition, to test the goalkeeper, those are areas that I think in those wide spaces. Also, if you have some consistency and pace in the wide spaces, it forces the opposition to be drawn out. It spreads out the middle of the defense and you're holding midfielders on the opposition to ask the question of who are you going to cover? Are you going to step out wide and press for the ball? Or are you going to stay central and defend a possibility of a cross? That creates more space centrally for a player like Emmanuel Reynoso, more room for him to operate. I do think Fragapane has started to look more and more like his old self, like a player that we saw when he first came over last season, maybe more fit, more healthy, more involved with the game in the attacking third. So I do think that in those wide spaces is where Minnesota United can be most effective, whether that's the outside back or depending on who he decides to play in the formation going forward, really drawing out some of the defenders, creating more space centrally, whether that's a ball whipped in or whether it's Emmanuel Reynoso, a little combination play, finding Luis on the, or Maria on the end of something, if he's the one who starts in that attacking position, 
until we know if Robin Lewis is back and healthy to go. But wide spaces for me is always going to be the key for Minnesota United. One more subject then before we head on out. Three away games in a row for Minnesota United. Revolution away this coming Sunday before next weekend going away to into Miami, then a cross-country flight for a Wednesday night game at LA Galaxy. Kendra, how vital is this particular period for the season of Minnesota United? Well, I think when we go back to talking about, and I'm not going to put a specific number of points, but I think that this group needs to get out of this um, stretch because it is incredibly challenging to think that the next home game isn't until July 3rd against Real Salt Lake. When you look at this calendar, it's a long time for this team to be on the road against three very different yet challenging opponents. You play two Eastern Conference teams and then you go and you have a midweek game against LA Galaxy, another team which has been a little bit up and down this season. All of these teams actually which have been a little bit up and down this season. And I think for Minnesota United, knowing that they have the quality and the depth if everyone stays healthy, there's going to be a lot that is asked of this group. I think the rotation of players is incredibly important in this time. Um, they have a week in between New England, Miami, but they, after that it gets tight and the games are going to be coming thick and fast once again. So for me, I think this is an opportunity for players like an Emmanuel Reynoso to put the team on his back to really lift them and shine and take some of the pressure off the defensive side of the ball. And so many times I feel like the back line and the midfield have felt like if they allow a goal that it's going to be a problem um, from a lack of goal scoring. So for me, I think we always talk about getting points on the road, getting draws on the road. I think if you go to these Eastern Conference opponents and you get a point and you get a draw, Miami would be more feasible for me to get three. Um, just knowing that they, they don't have as much quality as New England. And then you hit the road, you have four, three or four days in Los Angeles to really hunker down and get ready for this Galaxy team. And that's absolutely a game that you can take three points from if you go in with the right mindset, the right rest, and the right rotation and take three points against the Western Conference opponents in, in LA Galaxy. Minnesota United return to Major League Soccer action this coming Sunday, 4 p.m. against New England Revolution. 3.30 p.m. pregame starts on Bali Sports North and, of course, the CW Twin Cities. My thanks to you, the listener, to Kindred D. St. Aubin, our expert button presser, Andrea Correa. You've been listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. <laughs> <laughs>